Well, that is a good word um, from Acts 4, and that's what I desire for us today is to be able to share with fearless confidence. So once again, uh, I think this is our third week actually exploring the book of Acts, and our purpose here is to determine the relevance of the church in this post-Christian society. Last week, we talked about fellowship and how fellowship um, meant deep sharing with each other and living authentically and authentically for the people around us. And this week, this is going to take us one step further. Um, It's going to tell us how to share and how to share authentically. Um, And we'll find that when we share our stories authentically and fearlessly, then the word of God, the the message of the gospel, is in fact preached through us. And that doesn't seem like something we should be fearful of at all. So um, we're going to go back. Brian read the last part of Acts. We're going to go back to Acts 4, 1 through 22, and that's where we'll be focusing on today. Um, I have the NLT, as usual. Uh, You guys have the NIV. If you would like to follow along, you you may, or else you might want to just listen. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests. The captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not including women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and preachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. With no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. 
So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak any more in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Let's pray. God, thank you that you work miracles. Thank you that the things you do cannot be quieted. God, thank you for your work in each of our lives, your work in this world. We ask that you would prepare our hearts, that we would hear the words that you have for us. We ask that you would be working through us as we reflect on our own stories. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so it's really hard to talk about chapter 4 without some background information on chapter 3. So we're going to do a little summary um, because that's why they're arrested in chapter 4. They've done something in chapter 3, and it's, it's frustrated the religious leaders to no end. Now, Peter and John were entering into the temple courts, and they passed by a man who was begging at the gates. This man has been in that same place before. In fact, this man has been there for years and years and years. This man is well known. Everybody there knows this man has been crippled since birth. It's not a mystery. His life is on display. He's destitute. Since he's been crippled since birth, he cannot work. Really, his only chance in life is to hope for the kindness of strangers who pass him him by. And they do. They see him day after day, year after year. And yet, in an instance, Peter and John call upon the authority of Christ to have him healed, and that's exactly what happens. In the blink of an eye, this man has his mobility, something he's never had something that gives him a chance and a livelihood. He can now work for himself. He can now go making a living on his own. He's been freed from this kind of prison of his, his physical disability that back in that time left him without many chances. And he's been restored. And then he wastes no time jumping up and immediately giving his praise to God. So he's a known face. 
People have witnessed his crisis. His life is an open book because he just doesn't have a choice. People see him and the troubles in his life. His story is known. And now he's running into the temple courts. This doesn't make sense. Everybody knows this man is crippled and everybody knows this man can't walk. This is not right. And Peter and John take this situation and they have to make a very spur-of-the-moment decision on how to proceed. Because everyone sees this man and they see him moving around and they need to know why. How did this happen? This doesn't happen. This isn't right. This doesn't, life doesn't work like that. He's been crippled for 40 years since his birth. This doesn't make sense. And so Peter and John, well, they know it does make sense. So at the very spur of the moment, Peter makes this very powerful speech. And it just seems so seamless and easy. And really it is. Because when you witness something like that, something miraculous like that, the situation itself just screams of God's greatness. And all they have left to do is to fill in the gaps. So let's look at how they handled this. As soon as the man was healed, he jumped up and he started walking and he immediately started praising God. He didn't go quietly away. He didn't go quietly to start finding work. No, he jumped up for everybody to see, ran into the temple courts, and his praise was not for John and Peter, and his praise was not on his own self. His praise immediately went to God, and everybody saw it with their own eyes. So seeking an explanation, they asked Peter, what's going on? They asked themselves, what's happening? And the only possible explanation was that this is a miraculous act of Christ. Now this point here is very, very important. Peter makes a very solid clarification, and right away he says, It was not by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk. He just says it right off the bat. That's all he has to do is say the truth because the situation is speaking for itself. He's just there to fill in the question marks. It is not by our own power that this happened. God did this. Peter recognizes God in this act, and Peter and John will not claim the credit for themselves. The actions of Christ are so incredible that they proclaim their own message. And our only job, then, is to make sure that the credit goes where credit is due. And this speaks to a further, a further situation. This man experienced Christ here on earth through this healing, this one-time healing, miraculous it may be. 
the kingdom of God is upon us. And yet the kingdom of God is yet to come. So his restoration is incredible and amazing, but it's just a tiny little glimpse of what is to come. And Peter and John need to make sure that the people know that. And so in their explanation, they say, yes, Jesus did this, not us. And guess what? Jesus is bringing forth the kingdom of God through his death and resurrection. Peter says, and this is an important point too, that they were witnesses to the death and resurrection of Christ, and we are witnesses to the great things he has done. That is what empowers him to speak so boldly because he's a personal witness, and now all of these people are personal witnesses to this man's story too. And finally, in this this passage... We need to understand that Peter acknowledges there are hard truths. He has to tell them, Christ whom you've crucified. He has to acknowledge that there's sin. And I think those hard truths are what we tend to fear when we share the gospel. We don't have to fear that because of the greatness of what Christ does. It speaks of itself. And yet, that is the thing that seems to hold us back. And that is the thing that in this post-Christian society, people don't want to hear. Nobody wants to hear that our sin is what nailed Christ to the cross. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that there must be repentance. They want to look at this man and say, look, miraculous healing, everything's perfectly okay but they need Peter and John to fill in the blanks for them. And that includes this hard truth. And that includes, that hard truth is what we struggle with. Okay, so we're going to have to move back to chapter 4. That's just a very base overview of chapter 3. So chapter 3 says, I'm so excited. And the healed man is beside himself with joy, and the people are thrilled, and Peter and John They react in equal excitement because the energy of the Spirit through this act of God is just buzzing through the crowd, and everyone's happy, but not the Sadducees. And that's where today's passage picks up. With the Sadducees, so all all week long, I've been giving the Sadducees a hard time, and they're just trying to rain on everybody's parade, and chapter 3 was so wonderful, and then the Sadducees come and they arrest these men. Um... And I just not happy with them, but their role is very important. And they make a valiant effort in raining on everyone's parade, too. They take Peter and John and they throw them right in jail. And it's simply because of the message that they were preaching. Okay? So, what they're truly worried about this far is that the message of the resurrection through Jesus is spreading. They hear about this miraculous healing and they don't like it one bit because it's further evidence and they can't deny that it happened. They don't deny that it happened. They don't even deny that it happened in the name of Christ. But that's exactly it. They wanted to keep it quiet because it happened in the name of Christ. And along with healing in Christ's name, 
comes the message of salvation and eternal resurrection through Christ. And these go hand in hand um, with all kinds of other miracles that have been performed so far. And all these miracles are starting to spread the gospel faster, like speaking in tongues or offering proof of what Jesus came to do, like this healing. Are you all little confused and jumbled? Are things just kind of floating around now? Let's solidify it. This man was healed, and they don't like it. Because of his healing, the message proclaims itself. They see that Jesus is working in and through people's lives, and it's real. And that's scary for them, for the Sadducees. It's taking down their power. It's crushing the things that they've ever known. And there's fear. There's fear that the people will no longer hear their messages. There's fear that they no longer have authority in these people's lives. There's fear that people are turning away from God. There's, there's a lot of fear that the Sadducees have, and they don't like that miracles are happening. And this man who's been healed is just one more proof of that. And yet more and more people are coming to Christ. In fact, our scriptures say that there were 5,000 men now, and that doesn't include the families, the women and the children. This crowd is growing rapidly. This is only a few weeks after Christ's death. It's, this crowd is on fire, and it's only spreading. And this miracle is one more thorn in their side. Because when they look at that, the people say, yes, this is tangible, physical proof of the restoration that God offers through Christ Jesus. This is something we cannot deny because we can look at it and we can see it. How can we deny Christ when we can see his work? But they can attack Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, all they did was tell the truth. People wanted to know, well, how did this man get healed? They didn't have to fear telling the story of the gospel. All they had to do was say, oh, let me give you a retelling of the events. That's it. And through this retelling of events, the gospel was proclaimed. It was as simple as that. And because they were speaking nothing but the truth, they refused to be backed down. Now, that's a problem for the Sadducees. The problem is that these proofs of Christ are clashing with the things that they've been preaching and are clashing with their way of life. People are being freed through the gospel of Christ. And it's not just that this one man was healed in this one situation. It's that he was healed and he was freed from a life that oppressed him and and was breaking him. And he's healed of that, and Peter and John are proclaiming that there's more to come, that we'll all receive restoration and wholeness. 
Now the Sadducees, that's bad news for them because their way of life is, is drowning in this. And yet, that's a big crowd of people. That's a lot of people that can make things very bad for them. And so they try and keep the peace. They really want to not start a riot. The last thing they want is to start a riot. And yet they have to simultaneously try to trap Peter and John in their own words and hope, hope to catch them in some kind of blasphemy. They want Peter and John to admit that they're not doing these things under God's authority. That's what they want Peter and John to say. And here's where Peter and John become bold and fearless. And here's where, where my prayer is for all of us. Because so far, it's been easy to say, here's a miracle. Yes, praise God. It's easy to praise God when good things happen. All we have to do now is tell you the truth of the gospel. That's it. But now, here's where Peter and John have to stand bold. The Sadducees say, under whose authority has this happened? The Sadducees want them to say something that will trap them into speaking against the one true God. The Sadducees do not believe that Christ is God. The Sadducees do not believe in a resurrection. And they feel like by simply asking under whose authority do you do these things, they feel like Peter and John are going to trap themselves. And it would have been easy for Peter and John to backtrack and not fully admit that it was Christ's authority whom they worked under. They could have really been in trouble here. And yet they boldly spoke and they answered that it was by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. And they continued describing Jesus using scripture and testimony in such a way to show that the authority of Jesus and the authority of the one true God are one and the same. That takes boldness. Now, how does this apply today? The people were paying attention. Now, just a couple chapters before this, we see that there are about 3,000 believers in the community. Within a couple of weeks, this has now grown to 5,000, and not, not in a small part toward this huge, miraculous healing. People paid attention to it, and they paid attention to the gospel because of this one man's story. Before that man before that man so much as opened his mouth, people were grabbed by his story and shocked because he came into the temple courts walking and jumping. Every, pe- every person on that planet knew his story, well, in that area, knew his story. And that story reflects not just their experiences, but how God works in, in and through their lives. That's how it applies to us today. We all have a story. Whether we have some great, miraculous, shocking event, or whether our lives are pretty 
quiet and peaceful and mundane, God does big things in us. We just have to recognize them, right? God heals. God transforms. God provides. Whether in big ways or in small ways, God's doing something in each of our lives every day. Now, I talked about fellowship last week and sharing with each other. If we're in fellowship and we're sharing our stories, we're sharing our trials and we're sharing our joys, and we're giving God the glory, that's where it counts. People are seeing our stories and they're saying, yeah, I see God working in your life, sometimes in small ways and sometimes in big ways, but always in ways that it's undeniably God. And when people see that, that's when they want to know how this is possible. And the gospel proclaims itself through how we live. So from there, all we have to do is say it's possible by the authority of Christ, who died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead, for our own resurrection. That's pretty easy. We live our lives, we give the glory to God for our stories, and we share those stories with others. And our stories grab attention, because everybody has a story, and people can relate to that. People you've never met, people you're close with. When you share your stories, you're sharing God's story. And that opens the way for the gospel to be proclaimed. Now, today, it might be a little hard. We get the authority. People want to hear from us when they see us living authentically. And yet, it's very hard to say, There exists sin. There are some hard truths in the gospel, too. And the high priests and the Sadducees, they noticed when Paul, when Peter and John spoke even through those hard truths. They said, These men are bold. Why are these men speaking so boldly? They're not particularly educated, they're just ordinary people. What gives them the confidence? What gives them the right to speak so fearlessly about these things, even when they're on trial here, even when we hold the power over their futures? What gives them the right to speak these things? Well, that's simple. They are ordinary, but the Holy Spirit is moving through them because at the end of the day, it's not the powers of the Sadducees or the powers of the people around them. It's the power of God working through them. And that's the only power that matters. And they can't help but speak that power. And they can't help but acknowledge that goodness of God. It speaks through them. So yes, there's this miraculous act, and they could have denied that it was God, But God is so good that they couldn't at the same time. 
They had to proclaim God's goodness when they saw God's goodness. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And the people praised God for what happened. And the power behind that was such that the Sadducees had to release Peter and John. See, people can refute our words, but people cannot easily refute the proof that God is at work in our lives. And these people had seen something big, something that the Sadducees couldn't deny. And if the Sadducees would have kept Peter and John in that place, the people would have rioted. You can't silence the truth. It's hard to speak. It's hard to stand up for what is right. And yet, when we look at the story that God is weaving together, I really truly believe it's even harder to deny that. And Peter and John found that they couldn't. So later in the chapter, it says that they would proclaim the gospel fearlessly. Well, that's what I want for us. I'm going to leave us with one challenge, and we're going to break into groups to discuss it. Our challenge this week is to practice telling your story. And I promise that that is going to glorify God. The gospel will, speak, will present itself through our stories, because there are great things that God has done in each one of us. And I don't know all of your stories, and we all have many stories, and God works in all of those many stories, and there are plenty of places in our lives where we say, yeah, God worked in that, and we cannot deny that was God, and it opens the way for us to proclaim the gospel. And so as we close, I want us to break into groups small groups, maybe two or three. And I want you to say one story in your life, one story where you saw God working through you. And then think to yourself how you can fearlessly proclaim the gospel through that. Because the proof is in your life. The proof is that you've made it through this hard thing. The proof is that you've made it through the ordinary things. The proof is that some way you saw God working and your life you hear right now is proof that God did this work through you. All you need to do after that is the explanation of the gospel. Let's break into our groups of two to three and share a story of what God has done in, you, in your life. It could be recent. It could be long past. It's good to reflect on all of those. So go ahead and turn to the people around you, and I'll call us back in a moment. All right, all of us have amazing stories. And when we share those stories with others, other people around us see how God is at work in our lives, and it paves the way for the gospel to to really all but proclaim itself. And so my prayer for us is that we would grasp onto that, that this week we would investigate these stories in our lives 
and we would challenge ourselves to share them with others, to say, hey, this is how God worked in my life. That's what attracts people because people want sharing and relationship and authenticity. We don't have to force the gospel into some formula that's unnatural. All we have to do is live the lives that God has created us to live and to share those with people and tell them about it. And the gospel presents itself. My challenge is for you to investigate those this week and to see where God has been at work, even in those quiet, mundane times, and to experience the joy of sharing that with other Christians and with other non-Christians. It's good to build each other up. So on that note, we are going to prepare to take the offering. So I'd like the ushers to come up. And I am going to um, pray us out one more time. And then actually Brian just reminded me, this is the last week to put your, um, your little inserts for All Saints Sunday in. So as the offering baskets come around, if you have an insert for All Saints Sunday, go ahead and put that in the plate. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would teach us how to speak boldly and fearlessly your gospel. I pray that you would teach us to see the awesome, awesome things that you have done in our lives, in our stories, in our journeys. I pray that you would help us to fearlessly share those journeys with others and to listen to their stories in return. God, speak through us. Through the stories you have woven, we pray that the gospel would spread far and wide. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.